Is uh, anybody else that would like to say anything? Before I get started here with this uh, dipping and healing and shouting service, I want to take a minute to thank the committee for inviting us down here to Savannah. I want to thank uh, Roy and his wife for picking us up, and Bob for fine golf game this morning. Alanon <coughs> must have had God tied awful tight because he never got around to helping me with my putting. But we appreciate being asking. Now I'm going to do something that used to be pretty popular in AA and then it sort of died out. And I think maybe it's on its way back. I brought <coughs> to this conference with me my own wife. <laughs> and she's a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous and I'd like you to meet her. Olivia, honey, would you stand, please? My name is Harold and I'm an alcoholic. And because of God's grace through this program and by trying to practice his principles outlined in our steps, I've had nothing to drink since April 27 of 1960. And for that I'm extremely grateful. I sat over here a minute ago while my dear friend Joe from Atlanta was talking and damn near forgot what I was going to say because I was trying to figure out how long I was going to be sober and how old I'd be in 1995. And I'm already old and dirt, but I hope I get to make that deal, and I hope that you all get to make it. I would like to say to this conference committee that I feel the dedication you have given this conference of AA's future, our responsibility, is a tremendous thing. And I personally feel in the state of Georgia, AA's future is in extremely responsible hands. I'm grateful for that. I'm extremely grateful for that. And some of the things that Joe, your trustee, was saying to you are going to be extremely important. 
as we move down the road in this fellowship. Because, you see, we've changed a lot of things over the years, but these two symbols on each side of me up here that say AA stand for one thing and one thing only. And it's the difference between those of us who sit here tonight and the thousands that are outside of here tonight. The difference between living and having our being in a sober condition of mind, and that is Alcoholics Anonymous. It doesn't stand for and. It doesn't stand for addiction, addiction. It stands for alcoholic anonymous. And what I am here tonight, good, bad, or indifferent, is sober. And what I owe that to is Alcoholics Anonymous and the meetings and the book and the fellowship and every line and every word that have been handed down to us from people who cared and wished to share the miracle of sobriety with you and us. And I'll be forever indebted to this fellowship and to its co-founders and to the guardians of our fellowship for my surprise. And it was wonderful to find and get acquainted with God. I noticed that happened after I was sober. It became wonderful and a miracle in my life to be able to pray, to be able to enjoy the sunset and the beautiful flowers, but I noticed that happened after I was sober. I really didn't begin any spiritual growth in my life. until I completed our steps and read our book and shared these experiences in sobriety with another alcoholic. And I'm extremely grateful for that. Now, <clears throat> I was not born an alcoholic. I had a twin brother, and I was born in a little old country town down in East Texas. And I don't believe the good family doctor came into the room. I was born at home and laid me on one side of Mama and my brother on the other and said, Ms. Wilson, that and rooting around there on the right is your brand new little alcoholic. I strongly suspect 
that the brilliant mind of the alcoholic, as I study and read and attend meetings, I have become aware of the fact that just maybe my drinking had something to do with my alcoholism. Now, I know we have people in AA today who never had a drink. And you'll never understand sobriety as long as you live. If you ain't been one of them slobbering, tongue-chewing, rusty zipper type of drunks, And I'm grateful to the fellowship for the understanding of the principles and the relationship to a power greater than myself that allows me to maintain sobriety. I believe sobriety is given to me as a gift of the Spirit and the Spirit alone because my book tells me over and over and over that no human power could relieve my alcoholism. So the sobriety and the relief is a gift of the spirit and the maintenance of the sobriety, I believe, is through the practice of the practice of alcoholism. I become more conscious of this, it seems, on a daily basis. Now I wish I could stand here and tell you about alcoholism. I'll tell you all I know about alcoholism. <clears throat> I've got a real stubborn case of it. That's the extent of my knowledge. And if you'll listen, I'll tell you all I know about addiction. Well, that covers my intellectual part of this program. As I said, I was not born an alcoholic. I drank. I didn't start out in life drinking. I came from a relatively good family. The time of my birth, none were in jail. I had a good education, educated in the profession that I have followed all of my life, went into the military service in February 1942, and had a brilliant career, which meant I survived. And I spent a little over four years in the United States Marine Corps, and 35 months of those four years, I was on detached service in the South Pacific with the 1st Marines. I came back home and went back to work in my profession and still had no problem 
ื่อท้าวพอมาจากที่เวสต์เท็กซัสในเดือนเมษายน1947และนี่คือเมืองดินแดนดินแดนไม่มีบ้านไม่มีถนนเราถูกควบคุมโดยบีชาร์ชในเวสต์เท็กซัสและบีชาร์ชไม่ขอให้คนดื่มในบ้านของกันก็เราทุกคนใส่กระเป๋าและกระเป๋าและดื่มและผมเริ่มดื่มและผมชอบดื่มและผมไม่ได้ดื่มในครั้งแรกที่ผมดื่มแต่ในครั้งที่สองที่ผมดื่มก็คือครั้งที่สองที่ผมดื่มก็คือครั้งที่สองที่ผมดื่มก็คือครั้งที่สองที่ Unsocially or anti-social, I just used it. When I wanted to drink, I drank. I can't stand here and tell you that Mama loved my other brother more than she loved me, and that made a drunk out of me, or that I uh, sucked my thumb too long, or she put me on the pot backers. I, uh, I in the hell would you know that if you didn't drink? I hear. I hear people reach way back, still saying, it "Ain't my fault." Still saying, you know, I wasn't abused. That was my game. I abused. I got just as drunk, totally happy, as I ever did sad. Later on. The sadness was caused because I wasn't drunk. But I I can't reach back and say this, that, or this. I can say that I understand today the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body. I can say today that I understand. I was what I was because I'm an alcoholic. That's good enough for me. Wasn't Mama's fault? Wasn't my brother's fault? Wasn't the police's fault? Wasn't the boss's fault? I just couldn't drink. And I couldn't keep from drinking, and I pursued that exactly where the book says you'll pursue it. Insanity. I went past the gates of hell and took up residence there for five or six years. I'm not afraid of hell. I served my residency. I got my green card. I'm on leave. I don't have to go back if I don't want to. 
I was told this in the first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that I ever sat in. Incidentally, I didn't begin my sobriety nor spiritual ascension the first year or so. I didn't want to rush into it because <coughs> they weren't drinking. I think a lot today about my life prior to Alcoholics Anonymous. I read and research and mumble and slobber around, kind of like I did when I was drinking, because so many forces seem to be honing in on Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the end thing. You know, we got the answer for everything in the world, I guess, because everything in the world is setting up shop. I haven't heard of AIDS Anonymous, but we probably will. <laughs> we, we probably will. Every dingy in the world who gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar is automatically an alcoholic and headed for, quote, treatment. That scared me to death when they were going to impeach Nixon. I just knew that sucker was going to join AA. And, and please don't think I'm being discourteous, but Carter should have. <laughs> you can't do them things just from eating peanuts. <laughs> but we're, we're getting tremendous horses coming into our fellowship. Now, we've known for years and years that when you leave your garage door open, you're going to get some bent fender and some weird business. They don't normally stay around. But today it's an end thing. My gosh, out in my country, you can't, you can't see the weather on TV for I'm advertising where to take a drink. And I'm worried about you folks in Georgia. I, I really am. I was listening to your head honcho there talk about these 20 gatherings y'all are going to have. God leave somebody at home. <laughs> There might be an old rock stagger in there that ain't got one of them blue cross cards. <laughs> or leave him a note. <laughs> Can't talk to you right now. I'm due at the panel. <laughs> Let's be careful. If we're responsible, let's be responsible. 
What are we responsible for? What is the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous? To stay sober and help other alcoholics. Not dingies, weirdos, uh, emotional cripples. A guy that walks around shooting craps all the time. Or somebody sat there in the killing hall. <laughs> Our primary purpose is stay sober and once in a while stay at home and help other alcoholics to achieve survival. The glorious, glorious blessing of sitting and becoming a part of another member's sobriety. Nothing like Nothing like God, I so enjoyed that show this evening. I'd enjoyed it better, but there's a colony of folks sitting back there at me that had bladder trouble, or they had a better deal somewhere else, and they kept us chomping. But it was a tremendous show. I was thinking about some of the lyrics that were adapted to the melodies that Gershwin and Berlin made. Tremendous project put on by them bees. Most of them got their training singing in jail. Or like me, I used to ride down the road and sing a while and throw up a while. <laughs> Tremendous thing. I, I just got so excited back there I couldn't understand. And they started singing God Bless America and I damn near fell out of my seat. The miracles, they're part of this thing. You know, it's like a joke my old sponsor used to tell me, and I've told it that I don't know but two or three, and I just can't hardly wait to tell them any time I go anywhere. But I was asking him one day, sitting on his front porch while he rocked and chewed and had a great philosophy. He said, kid, he is about that high. I weighed about 270. Bloat and all. Same amount of hair, so, you know. He said, you go to meetings, you read the book, you have another drunk, and you don't drink nothing. Now let me run through that again. And I said, will that do it? He said, yeah, that'll do it. He said, when I was a young cowboy out here in West Texas, I was herding cattle on the slaughter ranch. And he said, we'd been rounding up strays all day, and it was hot and the wind was blowing. And he said, our faces was chapped and eyes stinging, and said, we rode up to a windmill. And he said, the... the Foreman got down off his horse and 
went over there and there's some fresh calf droppings. Said he just run his hand down in them calf droppings and rubbed it on his lips. And he said, I, I said to him, my God, is that good for chap lips? He said, I'm fine over there and sure keep you from licking it. Now, that was sort of my sponsor's philosophy about Alcoholics Anonymous. You go to meetings, you read the book, and you don't drink nothing, and you have another drink. And isn't that amazing, for 26 and a half years, I've gone to meetings, read the book, hadn't drank nothing. And it tried to share whatever I had with whoever wanted. What? It's what? It's simply what? I had all the problems you folks had. I, I don't spend a lot of time in AA telling you how sad it was if you're an alcoholic. The gut rendering life you led pursuing the drink out of that bottle is like mine. You made every mistake that could be made. You hurt everyone you came in contact with. And if you had children, you harmed them. If you had a wife, you either ran her off or she went nutty and joined out on or something or caught a bus, or anything. And I did all those things, got in jail, time and time and time again. And I cried, and I prayed, and I screamed, and I rebelled against society and everyone in it, because there was nothing I could do. Now, I didn't know that what I suffered from was a bad disease. I thought it was a terribly immoral habit, you see. I had been raised, that's not the right word, I had been jerked up in the Baptist community in East Texas. There ain't no other community in East Texas. And... I had become convinced through my mother and grandmother's teachings that John the Baptist come out of the big thicket, which is about 28 miles from my back door, and I looked for him every day. And I don't say that had anything to do with my alcoholism. Had an awful lot to do with my attitudes. Had an awful lot to do with my approach later in life to any type of organized religion. You see, in our church, we had a thing, kind of like you find in AA. Old boy stays sober 25 or 30 years, and he's learned tolerance to the extent 
that he's only critical of people who are critical of people. Now, that'll take you a while. He only looks down on people who look down on people. That's this tremendous cause thing with that. You're entitled to your opinion when I ask you about it. it this, this is the way it was at home. You know. Then we sang and we prayed and, and, uh, you had to you just sang so much and prayed so much hell you had to have a little relaxation and this thing followed me uh, as I continued to love I was not a good member of the church I was a deacon in the church member of the board fell out of the chair once at one of the meetings. And in our church, they serve communion every Sunday. Now, if you think that ain't a hell of a spot for a drunk, and it was always my job to carry around that little old silver thing with all that grape juice in it. And I'm standing up there sounding like a Mexican castanet, and I'd go down now and pass it, and some of them old unctuous sisters is going to sip it, and I'd snatch her back and put her in there and go on down there. Until they called me in once and mentioned to me that I needed to do something about my drinking. And I was doing all I knew to do about it. I was just drinking, I got as hard as I could. You know, every chance I got. And as soon as I'd heal up just a little bit, I'd get right back to it. I don't know a thing in the world about folks I hear today, so uh, it broke my sobriety date. I went out last night and had a glass of white wine. Well, now, if he'd gone out in April and come back by to see me sometime in August or September, I could understand that. But I, I didn't drink that away. I drank as long as I could stand. Then I lay down and continued drinking. It, it, it wasn't any problem, you know. I got where I was a whole lot like one of them mules. That was tough. I was fully self-contained. I could sleep standing, go to the bathroom walking. No problem. I, I noticed when I came to A, I had the oddest colored shoes. Nobody in the meeting had shoes like mine. Mine were a splattered color. <laughs> and we didn't have that WD-40 then, so I was always in trouble with my zipper. 
had a rust up on, you know. I remember one of the worst fights I ever got in in my life. Never won one till this day, but one of the worst ones. Me and a buddy of mine, you know, you always had the best friend in the world sitting right there by you on the stoop. <clears throat> and we were in this bar and we had been cautioned a couple of times about little old insignificant things. You know, we, we'd visit with the girls, visit with them further and further as the drinks and we'd been cautioned about it and, and <clears throat> we had to go to the bathroom. So we go into the bathroom, and and when we came back, this friend of mine, all of his whole front of his clothes was just ringing with. And the bartender said, well, God, you're going to have to get out of here. He said, what in the world happened? And I, and I was quick to defend my friend. I said, don't fuss at him. His zipper was stuck. And I let him hold mine. <laughs> That's just before we get to the spiritual part here. But I, I continued these things. I got in trouble in my neighborhood. I got in trouble, I was well known in my town, it's a little town, now it's about 80 or 90,000 and we're in the middle of a severe financial retardation program and folks are leaving very quickly, those that can, some of us can't, but it was a small town, it's about 80,000 I guess now. And I was well known. I'd been there. I've been there over 40 years. And, and of course, if a drunk is a stranger, he's going to get acquainted. You know, he just get acquainted with people. If you're the type of drunk I was. Now, I wasn't one of these introverts. I wasn't quiet. I didn't sit alone and hum, drink, and have visions. I went downtown. Sometimes I had to walk, but I went down there to see what was going on. And if there wasn't nothing going on, why, we hustled up a going on, you know. And it became increasingly embarrassing for my family and for me. Because I'd try. I'd sit and think, my God, what on earth? is going to happen to me. My children, I have a daughter, and at that time two sons. I have three sons now. I have a baby who just graduated. Liv and I were down for his college graduation, and very quickly thereafter, his marriage. I did a lot of testing, you know, I uh, I wanted to make sure they married. We these meaningful relationships don't appeal to me. 
and I want him to be able to bring her home, and, and we don't have any meaningful relationship rules at our house. So I wanted him to be able to come home. He married a very fine, fine girl. He has never seen his father drink. He was born after I was sick. <clears throat> but these other three got to see quite a lot of them. And I wonder, I hear a lot of things going on in AA today about the son and the daughter of the alcohol. I heard something here a while back, and I, I, I kind of like figuring out the Joe's conference. I ain't got this figured out. I heard about, and I know we're a little backward out in West Texas. We're coming, but we're a little backward. But I heard about the adult children of the alcoholics. Now, that sounds great to me, but damn if I can figure out what an adult child is. You know, at home you either hold corn or you hold cotton. I know what an adult is, it acts like a child. And I know what a child is, it acts like an adult. And I discovered one day and, and called my three children in. It took me a little while. They were up in their middle thirties when I discovered this. And I said, you know, I, I've seen you all go to these things and do a lot of talking. And I want to ask you something. If you didn't pay any more attention to my drunkenness, then you've paid to this quarter of a century of sobriety. I'll be damn if I can figure out how I harm you. Discipline's discipline. Indulgence is indulgence. And I don't carry the guilt. I don't carry the guilt. If my kids want to be dingies, if they want to sniff it, shoot it, stuff it, cram it, whatever the hell folks are doing, be my guest. Be my guest. It ain't my fault. And that's what they're doing today, you know. Uh, sniffing it, stuffing it, sticking it, poking it. I guess it's all right. I get a little jealous sometimes because I think if they, there might be something out there better than that bourbon whiskey was. God, I'd hate to miss that. <laughs> I had so much fun of that bourbon, it just damn near killed me dead as a hammer. Finally, I'd been to Alcoholics Anonymous, attended several meetings, I knew what a dull and backward crowd right off you were because nobody had asked my opinion about what was going on. Nobody had engaged me in any sort of deep philosophical conversation. Simply said to me, we've been awake for you. I thought, why in the hell did they let me know? Got a seat for you. Had nobody had a seat for me in God knows when, except the county jail, and they was tired of it. 
I finally made the great, great decision that Alcoholics Anonymous was not for me, would not work for me. See, already I had decided because I'd heard in an AA meeting. There was an old boy who kept slipping for went twenty years, never made a year. And I knew him well and had known him for many, many years. Many of his drunks had been with me. And the night I was there, he was there, and somebody was discussing him, and they said these words. Now, an alcoholic said this. An alcoholic member of Alcoholics Anonymous said this. You know, there's something else wrong with him. How in the name of God would you know that? If your very life, the very center of your being, is a direct result, and as Joe said, a product of this fellowship, from a book that says, this is the answer to all our problems. You can take the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and kill every psychiatrist in North America if you want to. If you're an alcoholic, unless you're just dying to have something else wrong with you. And if you are, get out there, you can get it. The book, the book of experiences, the book that keeps the message from being garbled, the book that shares precisely how it works, is ours to give. And I hope to God it never changes, not one word, one line. Because the miracle of the book For 47 years, continues to provide the vehicle of sharing and caring that we call Alcoholics Anonymous. It is the instructions, the basic text. It has solved every problem that made it necessary in this drunken character to use alcohol. AA has a unique and valuable thing. Every group on earth that is in the field of alcoholism, every treatment center I engage in no controversy. Everything dedicated to curing you and me is a business. Alcoholics Anonymous is a way of life. It is a gift. 
a beautiful, special soul gift and is maintained through the practice of the principles of this program. Based on the spiritual condition we attain in the practice of these principles. I ended up in a motel room in my hometown and I went in and locked the door and I had bought a case of whiskey. I don't know why I locked the door. There wasn't nobody after me wanted me. I'd been in the Hector County Jail for 33 days and they didn't want me anymore. And I lay down and started emptying bottles round the clock. And I'd sing, had two beds, one of them I threw up in. And I'd sing and commune with whoever you commune with. Watch television. I later discovered Midland didn't even have television. But I <clears throat> I watched her, tuned everything right in there. And some days I was a mountain man, and some days I helped John Wayne, and occasionally I would evangelize a little. I wanted to heal somebody, you know. Finally, one morning about three o'clock, I went to the bathroom to get me a little branch water there and had my friend by his neck. And I started up with that glass and I looked dead in the mirror. And for years I'd compared myself, you know, to Rock Hudson under the arms. Uh, and <clears throat> but that isn't what I saw. I saw a big bloated face and I weighed about three hundred pounds. And the same two hairs I got now were sticking right straight up. My eyes sunk back and gimlet in my head. And for just an instant, I suppose, things got extremely calm, quiet. And I said, God, help me. That's all. Not some great prayer that included the Eubangis and lower Slavovians in the Soviet Union. Just, God help me. I walked out of the door, set my friend down on top of the commode, barefooted, and I got down the road about a mile and the cops came along and I said, leave me alone, I'm going home. Leave me alone. And I'd like to tell you the following Sunday I led the meeting at my group, but I didn't. I was locked up in the back room going through treatment. (laughs) 
I was chewing my tongue, 37 stitches worth. I was thrashing around on the floor and seeing and hearing and visiting, but I, I always visited, you know. Used to upset my family something terrible, you know. I'd be visiting in the living room, nobody come see them. Guess there wasn't nobody there but me, but I was visiting, you know. But when I was able, and this was about the first week or so in April, when I got the old tongue sewed up and got sort of cleaned up and was able to eat a few crackers and some cold mashed potatoes and a little buttermilk, I made her back to alcoholics once. Now, from that moment in that motel bathroom to this moment, it has not been a part of my life to drink, take drugs, have tremendous emotional disturbances, an excitable, nervous condition. I've not had to go anywhere for intervention, whatever the hell that is. My behavior modification has been fairly simple. I've been able to earn a living. I've been restored in part to a position of respect in my community because I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we have many good, solid help for alcoholics in our little city. I've not gone around broadcasting the fact that I represent AA and send me all your weary, downtrodden drunks because I got you to get them. I run out of room right quick, you know. But I've not found anything in my life from that moment to this insurmountable to the extent I needed to rely on whatever it was I relied on in the box. The two little simple prayers of this fellowship have served me. Third step prayer. And the seventh step prayer. I've not needed anything else. I believe very deeply in the God of my understanding, very deeply. And he's mine, he ain't yours, you can believe what you want. Can't have my God. So as soon as I get home, me and him got to work on my putting. It's terrible. But you're welcome to one of your own, and that book I mentioned a while ago, I'll give it to you. 
Now, I want to take a minute and tell you an episode that happened in my life. <clears throat> in case you think, I was a type of alcoholic who one Sunday afternoon rolled off of the couch and spilt his drink and said, My, my, I believe I'll go to the Atlanta conference for my healing or I'll go to an AA meeting. Do you remember in the book the description of the real alcoholic, the incomprehensible demoralization of a human being? That was me. But I had some fun times, and this was one of the times, and I want to share it with you. I had a dear friend who was a normal drinker, and he and I fished and hunted a lot, and he continually chastised me about my drinking, and he was a chief design engineer for a large manufacturing company there, and after I'd been in AA about 30 days, I decided to go see my friend Moke. And carry him the good news, the rebirth of his old friend. The one he had to pick up and wipe the slobber off of and sit in the car and carry down the road was now sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And just as I walked in Moke's office, They brought in a case of Jack Daniel's Black Label bourbon. And like a couple of instances here tonight, damn if I didn't forget what I went out there for. And pretty soon I said to Mo, let me have a little shot of that. I didn't give him the good news. I was afraid he wouldn't give me the drink. So we <clears throat> sat there and drank about half of that fifth and decided we'd go down to the Rio Grande, down the Devil's River, Mexican border on a little fishing trip. So we had a little 26-foot mobile scout trailer and we hooked it up to the back of the pickup and, and got one of the young fellows, colored fellow who worked for Mo, to be our Sure. And we loaded the bulls in the camper and took off. Well, it was about 300 miles down there, but we had to go through San Angelo. And it was on the, San Angelo was on the trail, so we stopped at a watering hole and got another case. We'd been down there about a week or so, and the young man suggested one day it might be a good idea if we went back to Midland. So we load up in the camper and we're riding along and drinking and talking, hashing the story, really, that we were going to tell people about where we'd been and what we'd been doing. And we're working very hard at it along with lubricating our thoughts with a little of that. 
And Moke gets up, and he says, I wonder how the weather is at home. Now, we're driving, we're in the back, we're in the temple. And he opens the door and stepped out. <laughs> well, I sat there a moment or two and, and had another drink and suddenly dawned on me, <clears throat> I wonder where the hell most went. <laughs> so I went to look for him. We're driving about 35 men. I hit that bar ditch and I had cuckleberries and rocks and I just was flying down that bar ditch and there sat old moat. But I, I had up a little more momentum and went on by and now that probably can be construed as unusual behavior. And I did have a highly nervous condition after that. And, uh, but it just was one of the fun things. Fun, you know. I guess I think about those things quite a bit today in Alcoholics Anonymous because I want to share with whoever believes he's different the simple fact being different don't make any difference just be different if you want to and you'll be just as drunk different as you are like Lester. Now, if you want to be different, be, you know, be, don't matter. The book dwells on the malady when the spiritual malady is overcome. We straighten out physically and mentally. Our steps are the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. Our co-founder said, they are spiritual in nature, and if practiced as a way of life, will dispel from the alcoholic the obsession of the drink. I believe that. I've not had to look anywhere. I've not had to seek Again, in the words of our book, I've not had to read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments in the program of alcoholics. I'm an alcoholic who did not drink today because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous by the grace of God, because of the unearned, unmerited love. 
And isn't that what we're trying to share here? To love the most unlovable to share a love that is unearned and unmerited with our fellow alcohol. Is that not our business? Is it not in the given that we receive? What a hell of a program. I talk to you and I feel better. And you talk to me, and I feel better. How am I ever going to lose? How am I ever going to lose? How can you mess that up? We'll find a way. We'll find a way. We're only 51 years old, so we'll, we'll find a way. Some of the great societies that did almost as well as we've done have gone on and are no longer. But as long as we maintain the traditions for our groups and as each individual and practice the principles of this program because of the grace of God, We cannot destroy. This is not man's handiwork. This is not man's plan for man. This is because of God. Think about this thing. Take yourself. and one other drunk. Yourself and one other drunk. And build you a self-self-help program that survives for an excess of 50 years. But for the grace of God, where would we be tonight? I want God to have the credit. God don't need no credit. He does not exact credit from his children. Let's give the credit where the results have been obtained in the program in the meeting rooms, in the AA groups, one drunk sharing and caring enough about his own personal survival to understand that by sharing it, the blessing is his. Practice our anonymity as it should be practiced. Quit loaning our name and our book to everybody that comes along with something wrong with Lent is for the church. It ain't for Alcoholics Anonymous. 
We've got nothing for law. Ours is again. And we say, oh, we've been able to help a whole lot of people. Yeah. We might have killed some too. Very possible. Very possible. I'm not opposed to the Anders being Anders. Go get you an Ander room. And and all you want to. I'm not opposed to it. Alcoholics Anonymous, according to our co-founder, and there's a trustee sitting in the room asking, is for the alcoholic. Had it not been you and I, would be dead or drunk. When we embrace anonymity, this is the only thing we have that Oxford didn't have, Washingtonians didn't have, and we've damn near misplaced it. You know, the celebrity status. Dr. Humperdinck, who chews his tongue and eats them down pellets, is now a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Who the hell cares? I want to go and pray. You know, the government figures, the parasites of society, the stars of stage, screen, and television. God, I've been out there and seen them. You ought to see them, folks. They couldn't, I know why they have to have special meetings. I know why they have to have special grants. I know why the ex-presidents, and I know why that sucker's ex-president, too. I know why she's got to. You know, you want her in Atlanta, send her 6,000. She'll come and share with you. <laughs> now, I don't care what they do. But I owe my life, my relationship with God, and my veritable being to the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and don't you pipe with it. Because I'm protective of it. I want to give it to another drunk. I don't want to sell it to him or loan it to him because he eats like a hog and can't lose weight. Or he's got a crap shooter's mind. Give it back to the drunks. Just give it back to the drunks. There ain't near enough of them here. I left more of this in four jails. Waiting for Sunday to get out. Give it back. Because... That's where you got it. How'd you get sober? Well, I took my steps and went through the thing, and that's fine. Crap! You got sober because somebody cared enough 
about their own sobriety and their relationship with the God of their own understanding that they shared it with you. That's all I say. Just do that. And it works. And, you know, we're free. We're free of those defects that tied us to the body. And sometimes I want to holler like the guy that this arena is named after. When he stood there in Washington and he said, Free, free at last, great God Almighty, I'm free at last. God bless you.